Hello, podcast listeners. This is the Extra Podcast from Northview Community Church, episode number 238. Welcome back. My name is Paul Siemens, one of the pastors here, and with us today we have Pastor Ezra. Hey, hey. Pastor Andy. Here. And Pastor Jeff. Hey, you're wearing a Seahawks shirt today. Yeah, brother. You're wearing the uh, the number three Russell Wilson shirt. Did you when you woke up this morning? Did you are you celebrating the fact that the Seahawks uh, are kind of awful? <laughs> they were pretty awful in this game. Yeah. So for those of you who are listening later, we are we record on Tuesdays, and uh, on this previous weekend, the Seahawks were in the wild card against the Minnesota Vikings in the frozen tundra. One of the coldest NFL playoff games in history. The third coldest. Yeah. Third coldest. Mm-hmm. And it was a ridiculous game. Minus 17. Yeah, they oh. were awful. And the truth is, you can, I, I think that everything that went wrong for both teams could be chalked up to the weather. All of it. Oh, man. The that way. was the only, the only one competing on that day was the weather. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. kidding. Can you imagine playing football in, the, in, in oh, what, no. what is, it worked up to no, like I minus 20 uh, Celsius? My bones I don't go outside shatter. at that temperature. Oh, I like started the, a fire. And why hang out near it? Yeah. Isn't oh. where you were telling me this morning, mm-hmm. Paul, that frostbite happens somewhere around there. If you have your skin yeah, I, I heard one of the um, one of the weathermen during the week while he was talking about the forecast for this game. He said uh, if it got down to a certain temperature, he said frostbite would happen like very quickly within like under five minutes if you had any flesh exposed. So here you've got you've got guys out Isn't there that the whole time. No, your flesh well, yeah, right. Did you see the face of the Minnesota coach? His face was so red. Oh, he was oh beat, man, oh, I, red. Just when you think football can't get any more manly. Oh man, there but you go. see, I mean, football I think for, at negative seventeen for for the but, players. For the players, <laughs> when you're in the field and your adrenaline is pumping and you're running around and do you think so? No way. I think, think it so? hurts. I think they're still freezing the rear. No, I think they're just not yeah. thinking about it, and I think that yeah. it hurts. I think physically, at some point, the cold hurts you, and I think that yeah. that. I think I think the cold was a big factor in the kicker. It was the only factor in everything that went wrong. All the plays, all the plays that went wrong. They couldn't kick. The kickoffs didn't go as far. The field goals, Mm -hmm. the Seahawks who wouldn't try field goals when they were in the 30-yard line. Dude, but kicking that ball would feel like kicking a stone. I know. At the beginning of the game, they tried to hike Mm. the ball to the Seahawks punter, and it didn't get to him. I mean... And then, mm-hmm. yeah, every time, and then every punt that went off a guy's foot was like 20 yards. It would be like kicking a rock. No kidding. That would <laughs> yeah. be just, oh, man. No way. No, it was nasty. But I, uh, to this day, I'm just feeling it for the kicker. Oh, no kidding. Who missed it. Dude. What a horrible thing to have happen. Oh, my you know, goodness. I do, too. I He'll feel be like remembered for listen, a long time. I am a Seahawks fan, quite, quite a diehard Seahawks fan. But if there's one thing that I can understand, it's late failure. As a Seahawks fan, I know. <laughs> sure, and Canuck fans understand I know as well. the feeling <laughs> of late failure. Mm-hmm. So our hearts blue. I think I speak, I honestly do, I think I speak for every true Seahawks fan in the world uh-huh. that our hearts go out to you. What's his name, Walsh, who missed that field oh, goal? Oh, man. Because honestly, yeah. Yeah, we would have we done it if it were us. That's what I want to say to you. That if the tables were turned, we would have done the same thing. 
oh man, that guy and his family, uh, I feel bad for. I mean, you go, uh, I would move and go to 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 to, um, <coughs> to nope. Florida or to Hawaii just yeah, totally. for, until 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 the fall, dude. Nah. Like, where would he eat? Like, can he can he shop now? No, I actually oh, think man. that people will be a It'll little be bit. Fun. I hope they'll be understanding of it It'll because be, you yeah. know what? It it was a horrible horrible day. It was a horrible day. The Seahawks lost, and they should have. I would have said it was a horrible day. The weather was terrible. Who dude, can expect you to do? Dude, like it would have been so, understandable. So I watched. I watched NFL Network like the the final score, final show, whatever yesterday, just to hear what the pundits would say. Dude, they Were just said, "Oh man, beating up on him." Oh, they beat him up. They, I mean, they said, "You got one job." Dude, one do you know it's job. hard to be a kicker? And <laughs> do you no know it's hard to be a kicker no, in the NFL though? What's hard to be a kicker in the NFL is is that that you do have this one job, but that your mistake is just highlighted more than the mistake that you know, like a linebacker would make or whatever, yes. right? There are Adrian mistakes Peterson. that are made all mm-hmm. over the field. Some yes, guy fumbles, someone throws an interception. Mm-hmm. I mean, some guy misses a block, and the <clears throat> the guy gets blown up in the back backfield. I mean, everybody makes lots of mistakes during the entire game, but yes. this this one is hard at the end because yeah. you know. I, I mean, I think I think the way the way the game ended was brutal. Like, oh, yeah. he makes the kick, they win. He loses, he misses, yeah. they're out. Like, That's no, sports, though, oh, right? Man. Game of inches. Yep. All of them, game games of inches. of inches. But it was a good game, though. Yeah. Good game. Well, it wasn't. It was actually terrible. No, it was an awful game. <laughs> no, he, <laughs> it was it, no, 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 no. It was a good game for the for the thrill. No, like I at felt... the end of the day, I knew man the Seahawks. Yeah, okay, next season. What he missed? <laughs> oh man. So that do was... we feel worse for Minnesota fans or for Cincinnati fans? Yeah, well, the Cincinnati fans too, right? They that just was. I would feel worse if I were a Cincinnati fan today because in Cincinnati they fell apart, yeah. right? It wasn't and, weather. But it was also referee-driven. There were some legitimate questions that you would have if you were a Cincinnati fan about the equity of what was called in that game. Mm-hmm. Why one some someone leading with their helmet into your face mask is not targeting or not a helmet-to-helmet right. collision yeah. when someone late in the game hitting his shoulder pad yeah. is yeah. that. And so I, I think either neither of them are or both of them are, and I think that even the referees would agree with that. But for whatever reason, they didn't call the one that would have helped Cincinnati, and they did call the one that hurt them. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. it's awful when it's out. See, if it's the players and they make mistakes, I I I feel like well, the player that's part of the game. Hmm. But when it's the ref mm-hmm. who does that, that's what I in soccer. I'm a huge soccer fan, but that, that's what's always hard for me when your team loses or draws or something like that, and it's on a cheap penalty that the ref shouldn't shouldn't have called or. Should have called and he didn't. That kind of thing drives me nuts. Yeah, because I, mean, I think you know. So this is not a failure of either of the teams. This is a failure of the referee, the official. Yeah, and and they do make mistakes, and I think that they did in that case. So I would feel worse if I were Cincinnati. <clears throat> but then Jeff, you would say though that that's part of the game. It too. is. Well, it is it's part of the game. It is. I do think though there will be a day because sports are such a huge deal in our culture and winning and losing is becoming more and more a big deal. Hey, it's a money deal, man. <clears throat> I it's do think I do think and because you have TV and the HD replays, I do think there is coming a day when most referees work will be done outside of the field. Outside of the field that mm-hmm. there will be some calls that they make on the field, but for the most part the the calls will be made uh, in a box somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually was been thinking about soccer that that in 
it's it's the offside stuff is going to be going away soon in terms of it's going to be the, it's all going to be determined by by computer soon whether or not you're offside or whether you are possibly mm-hmm. yeah and so the judgment calls on the lines people will, will all go away possibly yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so anyway. speaking of nfl though um the first question from our first or the first question for today from one of our listeners is that um, he starts it off by saying, we all know that marriage can be difficult, especially in fall during NFL season when our weekends tend to be taken up with football on Sunday mornings and then Sunday evenings and then even Monday nights. and, and, and Thursday nights now. Thursdays, yes. So we get, uh, the men get so busy uh, watching football, that it puts stress on our marriages. And now that the playoffs are here, it only intensifies. But there's this one weekend in the middle of the playoffs, right, the one right before the Super Bowl, where there is no meaningful game. There's Yes, there's a Pro Bowl, but nobody watches that anyway. So why would Northview book the women's conference for the one weekend when the men are available to just spend time with their wives totally. and love their wives? That's, that's a very easy question. And the response to Please. that is simple. Please. You know, so there is no meaningful game. So the husband's attention now will be focused on the kids so that mom can go out and have See, a See, this nice... is your gift to her for yes. all that time. There it is. There it is. Beautiful. So it's a very simple answer. Okay, but let me let's let, let me just have a little bit of a go at the person whose entire weekend is taken up with football. Sure. Okay, there's this thing called a DVR that you can get and it records the game digitally. I know. Technology. Really? Yeah, it's amazing. You it's can called record what again? the you can record the football game and then you can watch it. And this is what's crazy about football. I know I'm about to blow your mind, but you can watch it. In about 30 minutes, by flipping through the commercials and flipping through the, all the standing around. Because there is one thing. As much as I like the NFL, it is boring to watch live. It's boring. You can <laughs> argue with me if you like. But no it is. argument here, you buddy. Sit there, you sit there, you eat your chips, and they go to commercial every, what? Three two, minutes. Two minutes. There's, what, six seconds of action followed by 30 seconds of replays. Followed by six section, seconds of action, followed by thirty seconds of replays, and then five minutes of commercials, mm-hmm. and then we come back for the kick, and, and then we go back to the commercials. <laughs> so why on earth are you spending all your time sitting there watching this thing live? Why don't you go spend time with you? Go to lunch with your wife, then come back and watch a half hour. She'll be happy. Watch a half hour of the thing. You can even watch it so you catch up with it at the end. And I don't know, the NFL is going to come to a point, actually, where they're going to figure this out, that people aren't actually watching the commercials during these games now, because they're recording it until, the, mm. like, they'll start, they'll start watching the recorded version at, like, the end of the third quarter, and they'll catch up with the end of the game by the time that they do yeah. it. Like, I've even figured yeah. out how much time it takes me so that I can mm-hmm. get to the end when it's live. They're going to figure this out, and they're going to have to figure out new ways for advertising to make their money. Because, because people don't watch the no on the soccer. I mean, but but they they would Super Bowl just because the well because of the event of it and and the stupid commercials that come like right the very because the commercials, commercials are a part yes. of the show yes. But the right. thing is that in soccer they don't take breaks and they no. do the advertising on the shirts of the players and on the billboards on the, on the side of yep. the field sometimes on the field itself. Mm-hmm. So there are ways to do this to get your advertising dollars and support for the team. 
that don't involve having as many commercials. Ugh. Yeah, but it's big dollars, it's man. Killing me. Big dollars, billions here we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Somebody figure this out, Paul. I will <laughs> I'll do my best. I'll, okay, so how get a whole, the question, though? Okay. We have answered the question. You listen, yes. you, you need to love your wife more than you love the football. Shame on you. Amen. <laughs> shame, shame, double shame from Pastor Jeff. <laughs> so uh, the next question, on to something some more, a little more serious. Uh, we've got the topic of baptism here. Uh, baptism in the New Testament, when we often read it, we see it coming right after conversion or uh, alongside it. Uh, but when we practice it now, it often takes place months or years, even maybe after conversion. So what's the deal? Why aren't we doing it right away as soon as somebody gets converted? Or are we? I've been to a church where they, they do, actually. I went to Francis Chan's church back in the day, Cornerstone. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Simi, Simi, Simi Valley, Valley, California. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, come dry, leave wet. That was the motto. Mm-hmm. And so there, there are churches that, that do that. Mm-hmm. And how about, how about Northview, though? Why is our tradition or our practice here to go through a little more before we baptize somebody? There's the historical piece that I can add. Uh that might help answer that question. But also, before I do that, I want to actually agree with a sentiment in this email because yeah. I I feel very much that baptism is something that has been removed. And I think we've talked about this before. My, my theory, and it's just a theory, my theory is because we've emphasized the, the saying a prayer of repentance to Jesus and then calling that our <laughs> conversion moment, which it most likely is in many cases, because we call that our conversion moment, and we say, well, how do I know I'm a Christian? Well, I prayed the prayer to Jesus, the sinner's prayer at this particular moment. We don't know what to do with baptism. It ends up just becoming something that you do as an obedience to, to God. Now, I, I think that, unfortunately, the script, that's, that's not the way the Scriptures present baptism. I think the Scriptures present baptism as being equivalent to your saying of the sinner's prayer. So how do you know you're a Christian? You know you're a Christian because you point back to your baptism, at least you say that, because it was the moment that you made a declaration about, I'm going to follow, I'm going to follow Jesus. Now listen, I did, not say that you, I did not say that you need to be baptized to be regenerated. Right. Okay? I don't believe that. I do think, though, that when you point to the beginning of your Christian life in the scriptures, they pointed to their baptisms. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, anyway, my point is that the emphasis on the sinner's prayer has led us away from baptism, and we're not sure what to do with it now. And so people feel that a little bit. So I, it's, it's I actually kind of moved to this place now. It's like when you become really committed. <coughs> Right, really commit. Then you get baptized. Right, so that's right. What so happens I'm a, in the I'm future. a Christian, but not like, but when I'm really a Christian, <laughs> then yeah, absolutely. So it's it, and sometimes you end up hearing people talk about baptism, even like, okay, so did you feel something special when you came out of the water? As if it's yeah. gonna mm-hmm. converse confer some sort of special spiritual. I've had many people say that to me. Significance because we don't. And the reason behind it, I don't want to criticize too much because the people behind, the reason behind it is that we're trying to figure out what to do. We're trying to figure out what to do with it in light of this sinner's prayer stuff, which is not, by the way, in the, in the Bible. You do have right. passages, Romans 10, for example, that say, you know, you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, but would you, believe would, in your heart. God would, you say, you would you say the issue is with the sinner's prayer, or would you say the issue would be the coming forward 
because the, the altar call. Sure. Because I, sure. In, in, in some ways, people say, hey, you know what? I made a public declaration, a public profession right. of faith. Right. What was that? I went forward. Right. And so right. the altar call has, <clears throat> for many people, been that thing. The point that I'm making is in the Bible, when you, when, when you look at what is, what is the moment of public declaration of faith in Jesus, it's baptism. Where for us, it's, well, I raised my hand, or I went forward, or I said this prayer, and then I confirmed it by the raising of my... Whatever. So that was... And sometimes people, when they do these altar calls, they'll end up saying that. You need to make a public declaration. I've I've been in them before where they'll say that. Well, you need to make this public, so we're raising your hand. Well, actually, no. You need to make it public by being baptized. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's sort of my theory on it. People who are listening can debate, argue with that if they like, and that's, that's fine. I'd, I'd love to dialogue about it because it's something I'm still thinking about. But historically, part of the reason that baptism has been something that we don't do like right away has been because in the history of the church, uh, there are have been people who have been baptized who aren't like authentic Christians. And so in the early church, they were concerned about about baptizing people who were not real because what happens in the day of suffering and they end up turning away, right? So you had actual situations in churches where, you know, a, a, an emperor, a Roman emperor would come in and he would, he would, he would persecute the, the Christians of that time. And you'd have like Ezra would, his, his family would be persecuted. Andy's family would be persecuted. Well, Ezra's family decided that they would, that they would, just admit that they didn't believe in Jesus for that time, even though they were baptized. They believed in, just said, oh, we don't believe in Jesus, so the, the persecution was let off of them. But Andy's family remained faithful, and so his sister died, you know, confessing faith in Christ. Then a new emperor comes in, and the persecution lets off, so it's okay to be a Christian again, and all of Ezra's family comes back, right? Mm-hmm. And so what does Andy feel? He's like, whoa. I'm ticked. Wait a minute. So this was a real problem in the early church that they had these challenges in churches that were like that. And so one of the solutions or one of the approaches that pastors and other leaders took was, look, we're, we are going to be very careful about who we baptize because we want you to go through a period of time to demonstrate that you actually are the real thing before we, we give you a public, before you publicly declare. Yeah. There, that, a, that's yeah. been very much the tradition still, I think. And there's a logistical challenge as well to to baptism, particularly, I mean, we've taught, we've all had those moments where we've conversed with people that have perhaps already been baptized before, and they have a um, a, a faulty understanding of, of what it means to be baptized. And so when we have those opportunities, and, and you know, we have these policies in place, right, where you need to go through a class, and people are like, what do you need to go through class? I don't, I don't see that in the scriptures, that you need to go through baptism oh, it's not in, class. It's not in the scriptures. <laughs> exactly. But so for us, these are logistical reasons that we've we've come up with this, because we realized we needed to talk with people through mm. what it what does it mean to be a Christian? What yeah. does it mean to get baptized? Because we want to make sure that they understand it correctly. And that we understand where they're coming from cor- correctly and, and their 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 own history. Right. We want to ba- we want to bapt- we want to make sure that you know what it means to be a Christian uh, before we baptize you. And so we have baptism classes unashamedly, and we continue we will continue to do so, even though you're absolutely right to say, well, those aren't in the Bible. You're right, but it's also the Bible doesn't say that you shouldn't have them. So we've put baptism classes in, and we've asked people to be a part of those classes in order to learn what baptism is, what it looks like to be a Christian. It's kind of a Christianity 101 sort of thing. 
so that you, when you make a public profession, we, we know that you're, you mean it. Okay, so then the yeah. question then would be, okay, so are we being, are we being f- uh, like Pharisees here, putting a, an obstacle preventing people from, from being baptized? How would you respond to a question like that? Well, I've, I've baptized people without the class. And I, I have no problem with churches or others who baptize without a class. So why don't you do that? Because we think it's better to have a class. Mm-hmm. Like I think it, it gives me an opportunity as a pastor to pastor you through and walk you through what it means to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Before and, and I, I think... It's an opportunity. Look, you want to get baptized, great. Let me, let me talk to you for a little bit ahead of the baptism, just to make sure that you understand the gospel. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, at Francis Chan's church, if you want to get baptized at back when he was pastoring that church. If you wanted to get baptized in that service, you they they did that call at the beginning. You would go back, meet with elders. They would counsel with sure. you quickly, and then you got baptized at the end of the service. Right. So notice that they've got the logistical challenge, too. They're, they're overcoming it. Uh, we've just chosen not to do that, but I don't think that you're, you know, being biblically unfaithful because you're not... You know, baptizing that day that somebody I think, makes I think, a I commitment. Think the only difference between Chan, though, and, and what I'm talking about is just the length of time. That, that's exactly yeah. my yeah. point. I think I think it would be then correct to say, you know, Matthew 20, 19 and twenty. You know, therefore go make disciples. And I think the class is part of that making disciples process, Absolutely. where we are trying to make sure that the people who are coming forward raising their hands saying, I'd like to be baptized, mm-hmm. we are saying, okay, let's just make sure you know exactly what you're signing up for. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This mm-hmm. is what it means to die to self and being alive to Christ. Especially in our culture today, where there's so many different versions of the gospel. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a, yeah, exactly. I mean, and this goes all the way back even to St. John Chrysostom uh, back in the fourth century when he was writing. He actually wrote a number of baptismal instructions, and a big part of that was... Uh, making sure that people coming to be baptized understood the gospel mm. properly and that they weren't believing uh, Arianism or Sabellianism or whatever heresy that was coming along, that they, that they were actually uh, fully believing Trinitarian Christian doctrine. Yeah, we want to be able to say that the people that we've baptized believe at least at that moment. And we yeah. can't guarantee, even at that, there are going to be people we baptize who fall away from the faith and right. demonstrate yeah. by falling away that they didn't believe, mm-hmm. truly. So, yeah. yeah, but we want at the front end to do our best to try to to try to try demonstrate. So that's my yeah. answer to the question, is yeah. we're, try, we're yeah. trying our best to try to help people. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good... I think it's a good defense. Uh, so the next topic we're going to be talking about is end times. Which we've hold on. Think, let me get my boxing gloves on here. All right, <laughs> I'm ready to take a swing at Andy. Jeff, just say something up. wrong, Andy, and I am ready to light you up. Go yeah, ahead. Interestingly enough, Jeff and I are in the same place on this. But anyway, continue. Oh, that's, that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff wants to make. Sorry, I'm making here. fun of the. I'm Jeff just fun wants of to punch me. That's all. He wants here. to. He wants to make you not yet already. This is one of the. <laughs> this is one of the subjects that is really contentious in the church, and some sure people is. get really fired up. And I'm making fun of it a little bit because. <clears throat> It, it is, I mean, I've studied a bit enough to, to know that there are legitimate disagreements about this, and not, sure. just, not just now, but in the history of the church, right? Mm-hmm. Augustine was the first amillennialist that I know of, and the early church fathers were more what they call historic premillennialists. Mm-hmm. So and then in the late 1800s, and the people who get the angriest nowadays usually hold a view that is really came to fruition in the late 1800s by a guy named John Nelson Darby 
which mm-hmm. is pre-tribulational, pre-millennialism. Right. Uh, and so, uh, but they're all mad because you because you would disagree, which was I always laugh at because I'm like, well, Augustine disagreed with you, and so did Luther and Calvin and everybody who yeah. went ahead of you. Totally. Jonathan Edwards, pick your favorite Christian from ages past. They didn't hold that view. So not I'm not suggesting that pre-tribulational, pre-millennialism is wrong. I'm just saying that this has been an area of disagreement, legitimate disagreement through the church. It's been difficult for people to understand yeah. what the book of Revelation or the 70 week of Daniel or that. Right. I mean, it's been difficult for them to understand exactly what's supposed to happen, especially when it, re- when it, when it relates to Israel and mm-hmm. its mm-hmm. future. And mm-hmm. Well, this, this is something I've said before, and I, people just need to be reminded of. We always want to read the Bible as though it was written to the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And, and then when we do that, we we come up with all kinds of uh, right. doctrines, particularly. Yeah, you're not saying that you, we should read it like no. it's written in the 21st century. You're saying that that's what we do. That's that's a, yeah. yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, because that that's we the funny thing, right? Because all, of course, all the prophecies of Revelation are for the 21st century. Right. So that doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about it or no. hold our viewpoints about no, it. No, no, so no, I'm no. happy right. to give my viewpoints as long as everyone hears me and Ezra, and I'm, I think I'm speaking for all of us. To say that, look, when we give our viewpoints, we do so with a little bit of, like, this is one that we're like 60, 70 percent, 80 percent sure mm-hmm. about some of these things, mm-hmm. and very happy to be corrected at mm-hmm. points. Mm-hmm. There are things that I believe that the Bible teaches that I believe with more, um, with more conviction mm-hmm. than this. I think the Bible's clearer on right. some things. That doesn't mean, by the way, that I don't think the Bible's somewhat clear on some of it. Okay, so away we go. Let's let's fight. <laughs> yeah. So the the question is basically, uh, the listener believes we need to have a balanced view of scripture. We shouldn't just focus on end times like a lot of people do. But because there's so many kind of funny theories out there, or people obsessing over blood moons, or uh, setting the date of when um, when Jesus is going to come back, uh, she she she's just saying that. She'd like to know what some good teaching is on this and what are our views yeah. on the end times. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so question. My, um, I will say this. I'm going to recommend that you follow along this the next few uh, weeks and months with Westside Church's study in the book of Revelation. The good church, local church, right? Westside uh, Vancouver. Westside Vancouver. Good friend of ours, Norm mm-hmm. Funk, is pre- a great preacher. <clears throat> He'll be preaching through the book of Revelation. Okay. And so, like, I trust Norm. I'm not saying you're going to agree a whole 100% or that I would agree 100% with what he was he's going to say, but I think he's there's a church that's trying to walk through the book of Revelation as best they can and trying to preach preach through it. I, I actually have planned to do Revelation at some point, uh, at some point. <laughs> You've yet. actually, and you have preached through the seven churches. Yeah, so already, we go to the first couple of chapters, but mm-hmm. the getting into the rest of the book is is something that I would like to do at at some point. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you're interested in like a really contemporary thing that's going to go on, you can go on on iTunes and you can, or you can just Google uh, Westside Church Vancouver and you can download from their website the stuff yeah. that they've got from yeah. Norm. And there's actually, if you go on DesiringGod.com, there's a video from a few years back, and it's it's about an hour, hour and twenty minutes, I think, and it's John Piper, uh, Douglas Wilson, and Sam Storms. Oh, that'd be good. All three of them coming from a different viewpoint. So Piper's the the historic. Premillennialist, uh, Wilson is the post- amillennialist, and Wilson's Sam's a post-millennialist. 
Uh, Wiltem, yeah, he's a, yeah, he's a post he's, Okay, then I got the two. And then yes. Storms is Amillennial. So, okay, there so is, I got those two. There's one guy, what is his name? But anyway, the three of them debate All that. good friends, by the way. Those yeah, three. totally. Four guys on the video. There was four? There's one guy you're missing, yeah. yes. Oh, sorry. But you can but look at this as Iron God? Is that right? Yes, you can find it on Desire God. Look it up. And it's yeah. uh, well worth watching. It's uh, I think if you go to Desiring God and you Google there, uh, an evening of eschatology, yeah. you will get to this video. Yeah. It's a very interesting, interesting Sam Storm's video. book on amillennialism is good, like Your Kingdom Come is yes. what it's called. It's a very good book. Yes. And he does a good, uh, he, has a, he has a view that, that Augustine had. So he's mm-hmm. got a, a view that's been really old. But there are several others that are around. Uh, there's a course that Marty Cooley... Has has taught at Willingdon School of the Bible in the past on Revelation. Yeah, and I think that he still might do it. So I don't know if you're into traveling, but that's in Burnaby. Mm-hmm. But you might want to contact Willingdon School of the Bible and find out whether or not they're having that class yeah. uh, there. Because mm-hmm. yeah. Marty's fantastic. He's a yeah. historic premillennialist, yeah. and mm-hmm. so he's written a doc. He's get written um, a uh, commentary on Revelation that's going to come out either soon or just has come out. Who, Marty? Cooley? Marty Cooley. Oh, cool. Oh. And so I've wanted to have Marty come here and teach teach on Revelation just because he's such a such a good, sharp guy on it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there there are some resources anyway that we can give both online and in person and yeah. Yes. That sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm recommending so, Cooley, not because I mean I actually hold Marty Cooley's view, but I'm not recommending it just because of that. Like I don't hold Sam Storm's view, but he mm-hmm. I would recommend him as well. And there are mm-hmm. some there are some folks from the historic. I mean, one of the problems too is that people when they talk about this, they end up caricaturing one of the views as kooky, and so mm-hmm. I don't want to make yeah. I, I don't want to make the pre-tribulational pre-millennial view, which is the left behind view. Yeah. Yes. I don't want to make that sound kooky because there are people who are able defenders of it. There are and, some brilliant and, and people who defend so, it. Yes. So there are some books and others that aren't totally coming to mind, but some of the four views books are yes. really helpful. On this, and there are there are some good arguments to be made by those people in those areas. I went to a seminary actually that held that view, and so I heard from several of them. And they they're not kooky people at all. They're very careful and thoughtful about how they're trying to read the Bible. So um, yeah, you can resource some of that um, if you want to go to Dallas Theological Seminary's website dts.edu. You can get some recommendations. I think from their point of view, which would be that one. Yes. I mean, Good. You, you you will you will find uh, very sharp thinking, God honoring, theologically right. minded men and women who hold opposing views here. And like Jeff said, these are four friends. These are people who are sitting around a table, um, wrestling with, okay, what will the return of Christ look like? Right. What's the Christian hope, uh, as best as we can understand it from the biblical text? Right. So even at this table here. I, I don't know what the different views are. Mm-hmm. I think I can I guess. Paul, I'm assuming you're amillennial. I, uh, I, okay, I went to a seminary where almost all the profs were amillennial, and I had a class on Revelation by Chuck Hill, who is a brilliant um, New Testament scholar, and wrote a book called Regnum Calorum, Ooh, Patterns like of a, Millennial Thought in Early Christianity. That and the, sounds like a bestseller. Here, here, the, <laughs> the thing is, you, you see the title and you go, oh my goodness, I'm never going to read that thing. But it's a, it's very um, accessible. Yeah, they might want to the, consider They should probably retitle it, yes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the, uh, the all-millennial view, so hearing it from him sounds very 
uh, plausible. But then when I hear the historic pre-mill view, I find myself leaning so that way. Let so me, let I me kind of waffle back and forth. Let me, for everyone listening out there, I feel remiss that we, we didn't give you categories, define right. some categories here. Uh, so the, the millennial, that language is, is what's going to happen. Revelation chapter 20, 20 talks yeah. about a thousand year reign of Christ. Yes. What, what, what is that? Mm-hmm. Um, the pre-millennial view, okay, yeah, says that that is actually a future kingdom. It's real. There's a debate about whether it's a literal thousand years or whether it's mm-hmm. just a yes. long time, but it is something that's going to come in the future. So Jesus will return, and there's debates about how many stages Jesus' return is in, right? Mm-hmm. Whether the tribulation is happening before or after or mm-hmm. not or whatever. Premillennialists, they all argue about that, they, but they all agree. A premillennialist would say that thousand-year reign of Christ is a future event that's actually going to take place. Yes, um, in days to come after yes. the return of Jesus. Mm-hmm. The um, amillennialist is going to say, "Well, actually, no. We are in the kingdom now, and we're in the millennium now. Yes. To, right now is so. When Revelation is talking about that, it's talking about what's happening right now." Yes, and and amillennialists don't like the the term amillennial. They prefer realized millennial. Realized, yeah, right. Christ has already come. Right. The millennium because it sounds negative. Right amillennial, right? yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. A postmillennialist thinks, well, the kingdom of Jesus is actually going to come, but the church is going to usher it in. Yes, like by our good works and transforming the world from darkness to light, preaching the gospel and doing good works such that communities actually come, not just community people in the communities, but their actual structures get changed, right? So that we will emerge into the mm-hmm. millennial kingdom, so which you, is really popular, by the way. Post-millennialism yes. started to be really popular, actually, at the end of the Roman, yeah. at the end of the, uh, the Roman Empire, because that's right. what was happening, yeah. Yeah. right? Is that Christians were sort of taking over taking over the world. It also was very popular in the in the United States the during Awakenings. the Great Awakenings mm-hmm. because yeah. you could see like whole societies being transformed. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. to add sure. on to what you just said, Jeff, I think for the, for postmillennialists, they believe that as time goes on, as time goes on, the world will get better and better and better and better yeah, it's, until yeah, it's pretty it fit. becomes beautiful then Christ comes. Yeah. I'll, so it's always yeah. like there'll be more evangelism, more whatever. So people, when people ask a question, okay. Uh, the church why? will take over the world. Yeah, yeah. But when people say, oh, when would Jesus come back? Obviously the world is still very sinful. Okay, we have what to do. So if we want Jesus to come back quickly, we had best get to work right? and do evangelism and all that and get better. So those are the three categories. <laughs> so when Paul says that he went to school, it's millennial or realized millennial, mm-hmm. yeah. that, that they think that we are in the millennial Kingdom now, right? Ezra, I am very much amillennialist. Oh, okay. I so think he's, he doesn't read Ezra doesn't read the Bible. <laughs> Satan has been bound. And Andy, yeah, I'm not a totally. Not a, if I had to place myself, uh, I'd place myself as an amillennialist. But as oh, as you know, uh, I'm also a partial preterist. Oh well, whatever. <laughs> okay. so now we're getting new, another new, topic. New categories. Oh, so new categories. just just to define that, the language of preterist is uh, how how much of the descriptions in things like the Olivet Discourse when Jesus is talking are future-oriented, 
and how much are, are past oriented. So how much is he talking, for example, about the coming of judgment at AD 70? So the, all the discourse of Jesus telling the disciples future events, right? And what's going to happen in the temple and these things. How much of that discussion in Matthew 24 and 25, for example, or Mark 13, how much of those are talking about future events for us, for us? Yes. Or how much of those are in past for us, future for them, because 70 AD is when the temple was destroyed? Yes. So there's a big debates about how much of that it mm-hmm. has happened, and I think all of us at the table would have different viewpoints yes. on, on that as well. Um, I am a I am, the the right answer is historic premillennialism. <laughs> the right answer <laughs> and the, the right and, well look <laughs> what? I mean, you, it's the view Paul, Paul had. Oh come on! So <laughs> I mean, you guys can disagree with the Apostle Paul if you want. Right, but. right. Anyway, um, yeah. So those those are the different viewpoints that we have here at the church. I imagine that if we went down, Steve Weens, our executive pastor here, he he he's a premillennial, pre-tribulational guy. Yes. Uh, there are other at people least he would our, lean there. Yeah, there are other people on our staff who have different viewpoints on on it. So we we kind of we were very broad mm. in our take on our take on that sort of stuff. There are some stuff that we could agree on. Yes, we agree that Jesus is coming back. Totally. Yes. The, right? the debate that's here is not. The, it's just the how resurrection of the dead. It's just yes. how and when judgment. Right. Yep. In what order do we think these things are going to happen, and mm-hmm. what should we expect to happen? After the return of Christ, is it just the great white throne judgment and the new heavens, new earth, or is there a intermediate? Not intermediate—that's the wrong word theologically. But like, is there mm-hmm. a time between the return of Christ and the the new heavens, new earth yes. that's called the millennial kingdom? Yes, that's the debate here. Yes, and what happens in in between that time? Right. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who calls himself a pan millennialist because it's all going to pan out in the right. end. Right. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, that's right. <laughs> that doesn't mean, okay, so you hear us disagree about it. I just want to make sure that people hear out there that sometimes when we talk about theology like this and say, well, everybody's got these different opinions, and so nobody can know. Well, that's not actually true. I just want to, I want to point out that, that just because we disagree doesn't mean that it's a meaningless. We make jokes about it. And, and it doesn't mean that there's not a right answer. Right. Yeah. There, there is a right answer, so, right? Somebody's, That's right. somebody's mm-hmm. right. Either the millennial kingdom is going to be literal or it's figurative. One, one or the other is true there. Yes. So let's, we, we argue about it, and we should argue as strongly as we can for the viewpoint that we have and honor each other the best we can in those debates. But we, we shouldn't like throw these kinds of theological debates under the bus and say, well, those are a waste of time. They... Yeah. If you end up dividing churches over something like this, that's a little bit hard to pin right. down. And, then, and we have family members who have had their churches um, divided over this exact topic. Yeah, so that's... And that's, it was very incredibly painful for them. That's and silly. Things that they've, yeah, it, right. it is. And and the fact that, yeah, and it was uh, the leadership of the church really um, kind of spoke... Uh, down towards the towards yep. uh, our family members, and uh, and it en- ended up in a very painful breakup. So we never want to do that kind of thing, right? Here, we also um, want to believe that God is faithful to His word. We, all of us would agree that God is faithful to His word yes, and His promises given mm-hmm. to Israel. Mm-hmm. All of us would want to say that. We would want to also affirm. I think I'm going to keep talking. You guys mm-hmm. can nod or disagree. Mm-hmm. We would also want to say that. Um, Jesus was the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promises. Amen. He fulfilled yes. them by his faithfulness. Yes. So mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is an often missed piece of all of this, that mm-hmm. the promises that were given to Abraham 
were not obtained by the children of Abraham of, of the flesh because they were unable to keep the covenant. Mm. But Jesus, the the seed of the woman, she she actually right. he he kept all the promises, and it's because or he kept sorry all the law, and therefore obtained what was due him. Mm-hmm. Right, and therefore it's through faith in Christ Romans ten that we are given right that we are given the promises that were given to Abraham. We are children of Abraham by faith mm-hmm. in Jesus now. Right. That's right. And we are due all that was due Abraham. What we do now with land promises and other... We can debate about what that means and whether there's a future for national political <clears throat> Israel. But all of us would agree that when Jesus comes and he calls 12 disciples and he goes, is baptized in the Jordan and he spends 40 days in the wilderness, this is a picture of Jesus reconstituting Israel. This is, this is Jesus saying to everyone, and Matthew especially pointing this out, saying, look, I'm going to go and succeed where the people of God, the covenant people of God, went and failed. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And this is good news, because we are saved ultimately then by, by works, right? Right. But not ours. Yeah, We're saved by the works of Jesus yep. and faith in Him. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Right, so we all want to affirm that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jesus in his resisting Satan is is um, a, a better fulfillment or a, a obedience where Adam failed. Right. Uh, him going through forty days is uh, parallel to the Israelites forty years mm-hmm. in the wilderness. So yeah, he's and fully, twelve guys. Just think 12. about that. Yeah. Why twelve? And why was the church so adamant that they filled? Yeah, the twelfth spot when when Judas left. Yeah, why do you have to fill the twelfth? It's the parallel of the twelve tribes. Right, they saw themselves it, it is the new Israel. Now that language yeah. is tends to be fighting, but if you read right. Peter, that's the language. Peter in his in his uh, epistles, he writes applying language that was first given to Israel mm-hmm. to the church. Right, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, yeah, people of God's own possession. He applies that to the church now. Mm-hmm. So look. We have to recognize that the church has fulfilled, that Jesus has fulfilled, and by faith in Jesus, the church then has fulfilled and received much of what was due Israel. Mm. Does that mean that there's a future for national political Israel? Well, that's what we fight about, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it seems, places like Romans 11 sort of seem to say something like that, mm-hmm. but there's debates about what's meant by some of the language there, but that's where we end up having these, mm-hmm. these debates. But most of what we've just said is is important. One more thing. I think we would all agree that what happened at 70 AD, right, the judgment on the temple mm-hmm. has been often uh, has been often underplayed in contemporary theological debates yes. on this subject. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. That yeah. that Jesus did come, his promises were fulfilled. His promises of judgment were fulfilled. Mm-hmm. His judgment on the people of Israel were fulfilled at 70 AD, that yeah. much of what he's talking about in Mark 13 and much of what he's talking about in Matthew 24, 25, and when he says that there, this generation will not pass away until they see all these things take place, mm-hmm. that's what he was talking about. Yeah. We want to say that God is, God is faithful to fulfill what he has said he's going to do. He was f- faithful to fulfill the promises or the promise of judgment. Yeah. Then, and he's going to be faithful to fulfill that promise of judgment in the days to come. So these are all things that I think we all agree on, and I think everybody at some level agrees on these things. These are kind of the, I don't want to say somewhat non-negotiables about it. How we fiddle with the rest of it, yeah. Yeah, those are the big rocks, I would say, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm.
So then, uh, just to cap this, mm-hmm. so one should final, we? So one, final, one final question: Should we care? <clears throat> sure, absolutely, you should care. There are some really practical it. outworkings of this, though. That, Such that, as? Well, um, depending on your view, mm-hmm. you're going to have a different viewpoint regarding Israel, national political Israel. Right. So if you have a certain view on this matter, you're going to think that we as churches should be flying the, the Israeli flag. Mm-hmm. We should be politically supporting Israel in all that they do. There are some viewpoints that would hold that. I would say that I don't hold that view. Mm-hmm. And others don't. Uh, we don't even fly the Canadian flag in our church, right? <laughs> because we're people of a, a different kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we happen to be Canadian, but also American and Japanese and Indian and a whole bunch of other things. But we are first. I and think foremost, somebody's from Kenya, but yeah, I'm not sure. But we are Ooh. first and foremost what? Uh, citizens of the new heavens, new earth. Mm-hmm. Amen. Um, yes. So, but those viewpoints, like this, is where you get into big debates because people will come and say, "Well, you, why are we not?" Why are we not supporting Israel? Why are we not celebrating the Jewish calendar? Why, like, there's a lot of things that people will come along and say. Right. But underpinning that is the answer to that question is because we don't hold the viewpoint about the end times that you that you do that of of whether or not the land promises given to to Abraham are going to be fulfilled in actual land given to the Jewish nation, or those land promises are fulfilled at the new heavens, new earth. That's the debate. Mm-hmm. Right, and this doesn't mean that we don't love the people of Israel or that we don't right. think that they need to be uh, protected. So when, when rockets are getting launched at them, we, we, we believe that they should be able to protect themselves. Right, but we would say the same thing about Israel's response to that as we would about Pakistan's response to India yes. doing that to them or, right. or the other. So I don't want right. to highlight <clears throat> only that fight. Right. Right. So Totally. But I do care about it, obviously. Yeah. I mean, um, just to add on to what Jeff has just said, depending on what uh, view you hold. So, for example, people who would lean post-millennial would be very, very uh, for missions and going out and outreach because the belief is the more you, you, you win people to Christ the sooner the coming of the king will come. Yeah, and they would want to add, I think they want to add to that, to be faithful to the post-millennial view <clears throat> that you would want to add to the to the missions, uh, like proclaiming the gospel peace, to the dominion that the church is supposed to express over yes. all things. Well, yes. Post-millennialists are known for being people who are like, no, we need to go and claim what is God's, yes. right? Which is this yes. whole, which is whole, this whole world. And so there's sort of an offensive edge to mm-hmm. the to the church's work in the world among a post-millennialist. And so you're going to come along and you're going to say, if you're post-millennialist, well, come on, we got to go and declare, and we got to go and take over these particular areas of the world and uh, of society, because mm-hmm. that's the church's job. Yeah. Whereas if you're premillennialist, you're going to end up saying, no, that will end up happening when Christ returns. Eventually. Christ but, is the one but in the meantime, it. we give testimony to his return. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? We give testimony to, to it. We preach the gospel to people and stuff. And sometimes those government organizations might turn to Christ, and sometimes they won't. But success and failure isn't dependent on whether they turn to that. Success or failure is in the proclaiming of the word. Mm-hmm. And all millennialists would hold that, what I just described. Yeah, would hold well, the same. Mm-hmm. To, yes, yeah. they would hold yeah. the same. Yeah. For sure. Boy, this has been fun. Andy's like, Andy, hey, wake up. Andy, wake up. Huh? I know. Is that a yawn? Andy? Huh? 
Is that a yawn? I'm here. I'm awake. Or is that just, oh, no, sorry. I was me yawning at your flexing. <laughs> so, uh, I'm over here flexing. Yeah. Keeping it real. Nice. All right. Well, that's it for today. So, um, thanks, folks, for listening. Thanks for being faithful listeners. And, uh, hey, before we go, though, yeah, what? We have to go on what? record right now as, as saying Seahawks win and lose. Oh, the Hawks are winning, dude. Okay, they're playing Carolina this weekend. That's we'll right. Come back next week, and we will. We will. We're going to hold you to account. Yeah, Cam Newton. It's over. And so Ezra is on on board, saying Seahawks victory. Yeah. What's the score? Uh, the score will be. I'm going to say 28-21. No, close game. Okay, Andy, what you got? Victory. I can't give you a score. The Seahawks Sorry. victory. You should just say like seventy six to two. Two. I'm gonna say what what Ezra said. Okay, whatever that was. <laughs> Paul, what you got? Uh, I've got thirty two to fifteen for the Seahawks. What? Everybody's a Seahawks fan. Like Hawks, you, you guys are sure that the Seahawks are gonna win this? The Hawks will have. You know what's weird? Yeah. Like, well, are they a, playing the new? In, new I sort of have a feeling. No, playing. Uh, I know that's what I'm saying. So they'll win. <laughs> I sort of have a feeling that <laughs> you, you guys might be right <laughs> yep. about this one. And I am a deep cynic. When it comes to the Seattle Seahawks, mm-hmm. deep cynic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that I'm very because you're from to, Seattle? I'm very quick to claim that they will lose when I think that they will lose. But the problem with this team is when nobody expects them to win. When the national media thinks, no, no, the other team's going to do it, yeah, the other team's going to get crushed. Yeah. But when they're supposed to win, the NFC title might be a different story, though. Yeah. But I, I think, I think the Seahawks go into Carolina, and I think they come away with a victory. Yep. And I'm, I'm going to go. Ready for this? Mm. I'm going to go with, with a score of 31 hmm. to 14. <laughs> you I think actually it's going to be a blowout? I think like it's going to be a big one. I actually do. I think it's going to be a close game. All right. I think it's going to be a close game. So we're all Good have the potential of being horribly wrong here. Next Absolutely. week, apologizing. There's no Eating need to crow. apologize. Yeah. There's no apology. Yeah. Are you talking about? <laughs> Good, no. Good times. But if you're leaving your wife all alone and treating her like trash because you're watching this game don't do that yeah that's right all right have a good week see you soon <laughs>